0: Welcome to this talk from Emmaus Road, a church with congregations in Guildford, Woking, and Aldershot in the UK. To find out more about who we are and what we're up to, please visit us online at emmausroad.com. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, write The words of the Amen, the faithful and truthful witness. The beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So, because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in to him and eat with him, and he with me. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thanks, Peter oh, God. I, I'll take your phone if you like. Thank you very much. That's brilliant. And um, just the rest of youth, it's great to see you in the service this morning. Lovely having you here. Um, I don't know if, um, like, casting my mind back a long way, a long time ago when I was a teenager, I went on um, a camp, and the only, and I was there for a couple of weeks, and the only means of communication was letters, and I used to wait for the post to arrive, just for that letter to arrive. Um, I was um, involved with a girl at the time, not Nikki, so we'll, you know, move swiftly on. Um, But I used to wait in the hope that she would have written to me. And uh, occasionally um, she did. And, um, you know, you kind of hang on every word that has been written. I don't know, like, I guess today it's like a WhatsApp or a Snapchat message or a Telegram message or I don't know, whatever it is, your your preferred uh, email, even if that even is still a thing. Uh, your preferred uh, means of getting a, a, a letter from someone uh, that you, uh, you love. And you hang on every word, and you're like, what are they going to say? And uh, I don't know how you would have felt if you'd been waiting, you know, you'd, if you'd been in a time of trial, and you'd been waiting and waiting for God to say something, and you get this letter that comes to you, and this is what the letter says. Well, you heard what the letter said. Let me just read it to you again. I won't read it as well as we've just heard it, but let me give it a go. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds. And you can imagine like, yeah, what? you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other. So because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Well, that's a love letter right there, isn't it? You say, I'm rich, I've acquired wealth and, and don't need anything. You know, you think you've got it made. But you don't realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Doesn't get, not getting better, is it? There's not kind of like, it's not one of those sandwiches where it's like something good and something, uh, in the, 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 the bit that people really want to say and then the other nice bit at the end. This is just like, boom, God straight in there. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire so that you can become rich, white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness and salve to put on your eyes so you can see. It does get a little bit better after that. Those I love, I rebuke and discipline, so be earnest and repent. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me now we live in uncertain times which is why the the theme of the series is strange times and i was talking to a friend the other week and they made the point that just when we seem to be getting to grips with whatever it is that's happened something else comes along and replaces it or is added on top of it so let's just rehearse the last sort of few years brexit covid war in ukraine Cost of living crisis. Rising fuel bills. Three prime ministers in the last three weeks. Or slightly more, but an economic crisis. Thing after thing after thing. So one on top of the other. And psychologists and sociologists say that what's happened is we've reached surge capacity, which basically means that our adrenal and emotional systems cannot cope With much more. And I don't know about you, but sugar and caffeine are no longer working uh, uh, for me. And it can leave us feeling sort of collectively disorientated, I guess, a little bit, and possibly slightly cynical and uh, slightly jaded, at least about some things. And there are all sorts of strategies that we adopt to help us to manage through uh, times like that. One of them is digging our heads in the sand and hoping that it will go away. The next one is a favorite of mine, which is getting busy in order to distract ourselves from what's actually going on. Another one is isolating ourselves. Some people binge watch box sets on their preferred streaming platform. Some people uh, have tried cold water immersion. I do highly recommend it. And other people do breathing practices or mindfulness apps or whatever else uh, you might be trying. And then other people facing, try to face the situation head on and work out how we can fix it, or at least be a little bit more in control, while at the same time understanding that control is essentially a myth. None of us are in control of anything other than possibly ourselves, and even then, uh, not all of the time. Other people pray. What's been your strategy? And if you were to be honest, how well has it been working for you? Because Jesus made the point that in this world we will have trouble. And he went on to say in Matthew 24, 12, that because of this and the increase of wickedness, the hearts of many will grow cold. And the thing is, prior to the last few years... Actually, we have never lived in a time where we've had it in the worlds of Harold Macmillan so good. No generation before us has enjoyed the level of comfort and health that we, uh, we have. Some of us can remember it slightly better than others, but it, you know, we all can think back to a time when things were better. Though, of course, we often look through you know, history through rose-tinted glasses and remember the good things, not the bad things. But anyway, you get the gist. We have had it good up until recently for a very very long time and that in turn can have implications for our souls can't it? Uh, Comfort can breed complacency and complacency can cool our hearts so the question is how do we keep our hearts hot in an uncertain world? And in that sense, the letter to the church of Laodicea is a good place to start. So let me just set it in context quickly. Laodicea was a wealthy city. It stood at the junction of several trading routes, uh, which meant that it had lots and lots of traffic, people going through that. And because of that, it became wealthy. It was a banking center uh, for the region. They were so wealthy, in fact, that um, at one point the Jews of Jerusalem appeared to the, appealed to the Jews of Laodicea for money. And they kind of got together, clubbed together, and a collection was taken up. and over 10 kilograms of gold was sent back uh, from the city's bank to Jerusalem to support them. A little bit later, um, there was an earthquake that didn't just level Laodicea, it leveled um, uh, Philadelphia and Sardis as well. And while Philadelphia and Sardis were given money by the Roman Empire to rebuild, Laodicea said, we're fine, we've got enough, we can do it ourselves, thank you very much. And they rebuilt their city out of their own means. So they were wealthy. Secondly, they they were an amazing centre of learning. They had a medical school which specialised in optomethology, which is looking after people's eyes. And uh, they believed they had this salve that could heal weak eyes. And the farmers in in Laodicea had also managed to breed a particular type of black sheep that produced particularly fine wool. And what that meant was the clothes that came from uh, Laodicea were of incredibly high quality and were uh, much in demand throughout the whole region. In fact, the people of Laodicea were described as the best-dressed people in the Roman providence, providence of Asia. So you've got money. You've got education, particularly medical care, if you like, particularly around the eyes. And you've got a kind of burgeoning fashion industry. This is, these are all really important things when you begin to look at what Jesus writes to his church. They were essentially completely self-sufficient as a city, except for one thing. They did not have a, their own source of water, or good water. The river Lysus was at that point not very strong, uh, so sometimes it dried up over the summer. So water had to be brought in by a series of aqueducts, um, and there were two sources of the water. To the north, there was the city of Heropolis, uh, and it had, and indeed still has, hot springs, hot springs for kind of healing, uh, so hot water from um, the north. And from the southeast was Colossae. And in Colosse they had a supply of water that had run down from the mountains. It was kind of alpine quality, fresh, refreshing water, cool water for refreshment. The problem was that by the time the water got from both places, it wasn't either hot and it wasn't cold. It was tepid. And added to that, it had been mixed with all sorts of minerals, which meant if you drank it, it made you ill. So neither water that healed or refreshed. And all of this helps us to get a sense of what Jesus writes of them. They'd have been under no illusion when he wrote his letter what he was referring to. It's amazing how Jesus will take parts of our culture and he will, and he will use them as metaphors to speak to our souls. He says, you're neither hot nor cold, a bit like the water. I wish you one or the other. So because you're lukewarm and they would have known that the about lukewarm water, because that's what they got in the city, uh, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Because people who drank the water, by the time it got there, it made them vomit, it made them ill. So again, they would have totally understood the metaphor that he was using to describe the state of their souls. More than that, the Christians in Laodicea were living in extraordinary comfort, boasting of their wealth, and Jesus challenges them. You say I'm rich, I've acquired wealth, and don't need a thing. But you don't realise that you're wretched pissful, poor, blind and naked. And here he's paralleling the things uh, that we have brought up up already that have brought them so much prosperity. You are poor despite being the banking centre of the region. You're blind despite the fact that you've got a medical centre and you've got salve that's supposed to make people's eyes better. You're naked despite the fact that you're famous for your fashion industry. You see what's going on? In other words, the very things he's saying that you think make you self-sufficient have become the things that have got in the way of your relationship with me. The things that you think have made you self-sufficient have got in the way of your relationship with me. And because of that, your hearts are lukewarm. He says to them, I counsel you. To buy from me gold refined in the fire so that you can become rich. Not because of their own wealth, but because of him. Something they can't earn, but they have to receive. And white clothes to wear. None of this you know, high-end fashion stuff. Wear white robes that can only come from me for being made righteous by me. And salve. Not this medical salve that you think is going to be the answer to people's eyes problem, but salve so that you can actually see what is actually going on. When Jesus says, buy from me, he's using a commercial term that they would have understood because they're a financial center. But he's doing this to remind them they cannot buy any of it. They can only receive it by grace. Let's just pause for a second, because it would be really easy to, if, if you're that way inclined, and possibly I am, to imagine a God getting quite irate and raising his voice and getting angry these aren't the words of an angry God. These are the words of a heartbroken God. These aren't the words of a judgmental God. These are the words of a merciful God. Because rather than continuing to lead them to their own devices, he steps in and he says, this is where you're at. This is where you're at. Turn to me, look at me, and it can all begin to change. These words are full of compassion. And he says he challenges those he loves. I don't know, uh, those of you who are parents, you know, it's that hard thing when you're, 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 you say to your kids, um, and this just may, again, be an insight into my parenting, so if it's not yours, or you're a child here, I don't want to scar anybody. Um, but um, a few years ago, um, um, one of our sons was particularly key. He wanted uh, um, this thing, and it was sort of a dangerous thing. Well, it was a knife, um, <laughs> and I said, um, "No, you can't. You can't have it." And what he said was, "You hate me." And as a parent, that's a really hard thing to hear. Like, "No, I don't. You hate me. If you, you know, have, have we, who else has heard? heard if you." Lo- I'm just getting this off my chest. This is like group therapy. Other people might relate to this. You might have said this to your parents, in which case, if you're sat near them, just say sorry. Just mouth sorry to them. You didn't mean it. You were just angry and upset because you didn't get the thing you wanted. Anyway, you get the gist. If you love me, well, actually, sometimes God says no. And sometimes God confronts us and challenges us, not because he hates us, but because, actually, he loves us. And the Greek word he uses for love isn't the usual word that's used, which is agape, which is kind of like decision love, like choose to love. And as a parent, there are some times when I choose to love my children. <laughs> this love he uses is the word philio, which is an affectionate feeling love. This is a love that when, you, when, you, when you're around someone who filio loves you, you feel loved. You don't know they've made a decision to love you. You feel their love and their warmth and their affection for you. And that is how Jesus is speaking. That's how he's speaking to his church and here That is how he is speaking to us this morning. Maybe as one who challenges and convicts and confronts, but always as one who loves. That's how Jesus feels about his church, about his people in Laodicea. He loves them too much to leave them in their comfort and their complacency. And he loves us too much to leave us to ourselves and our own devices as well. And he finishes with this extraordinary invitation. Here I am. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. Anyone who opens the door, hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them and they with me. And this, uh, for those of you who are kind of Bible geeks, nerds, whatever, uh, Peter Burns, (laughs) will know that that is a reference to Song of Solomon's, chapter 5 verse 2 where uh, it says this "The voice of my beloved he knocks at my door open to me my beloved so it's a link back to one of the most famous passages in the Bible where it's this kind of God trying to explain himself into you know in a kind of in a affectionate way towards his people Jesus the creator of the universe, the I am, is standing at the door and he is knocking I want you to stop and just think about that a minute. I don't know about you, I've heard that phrase so many times it kind of slightly washes over me. Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. It's not I stand at the door and demand you open it. It's not I stand at the door and I stand at the door and knock. What's the thing about knocking? The thing about knocking is essentially it's you're making yourself vulnerable. Because the person on the inside decides whether the door gets opened or not. God doesn't decide whether the door gets opened. They do. God doesn't decide whether the door gets opened. We do. And if they open the door, he promises to come in and eat with them. This is a symbol and a picture of intimacy and of deep friendship. So what does that mean for us? I want to ask you a question that my sort of spiritual director person asks me whenever I see him, which is how is your heart? How's your soul? Thinking back to some of the stuff we've experienced, whether for some of you it would have been you couldn't go to school or you couldn't go to college because because of lockdown you had to stay at home. You had to do school at home. Maybe as a parent, you had to manage kids at home. I know I did. How's that impacted you? How's your soul? Maybe uh, that's not you. Maybe actually you're doing pretty well. You know, you had lived in a place with plenty of space. You could, you know, disappear off a couple of times a day and no one would even know into the countryside. Uh, Maybe financially, things are okay for you. You're not worrying about fuel bills or the rising cost of living. You're fine. How's your soul? What might have gotten in the way of you giving him all of you? What might have gotten in the way of me giving him all of me? Just to be honest, I can think of a couple of things off the top of my head, things that kind of cloud the mind. And you know, I don't know about you, but I get uh, distracted often by the immediate son going off to university for the first time. You know, it's taken up a lot of headspace. How's he doing? Is he doing okay? All that kind of stuff. Those of you who have have kids at have gone to uni you know it'll all be fine but you have to keep telling yourself that and it distracts it just you know it has an impact on our soul maybe some of you here have elderly relatives family members it takes a toll how's your soul maybe uh, some of you here an exciting relationship how's your soul Maybe you've got a new job and a promotion and you're having the time of your life. How's your soul? Remember that Jesus never comes to condemn us. And if things are great, praise God, thank him for it and invite him into the middle of it. Rather than, I don't know about you, when times are difficult, God's the first person I go to. When things are going well, maybe not so much so all the time. Jesus is always wanting to draw us back to himself. And if He will, if you'll let him, he will use whatever circumstances you find yourself in, good, bad, in the middle, to draw you after him. To draw you after him. Now, I always just want to be honest. Myself, the thing that I've struggled with over the last couple of years probably is my, well, not probably, is my mental health. I think just trying to Pastor, a group of people through a pandemic, trying to look after a family through a pandemic, trying to look after kids through a pandemic, just kind of took a little bit of a, toll, of a toll on me, on my soul. And you show up, and you smile, and you kind of go through the motions, and you know things. You know, we we all know how to pray a good prayer when we need to, but like sometimes my soul just was not great. Unfortunately, I, you know, I wor- I worked that out, and I got the help that I needed. But our soul will only begin to get better. Our hearts will only begin or continue to be hot when we recognize where we're at, where we allow Jesus to come and to say uncomfortable things to us. And the point of this is not to Leave make everyone leave feeling bad about themselves. Quite the opposite. The point of this morning is to actually remind you how good you should feel about yourselves because God is on your case because he loves you, because he wants the best for you and he will not allow you to leave yourself. He will not leave you to yourself and to your own devices. He loves you too much for that. He loves us too much for that. And so if you want to have hot hearts, and I don't know about you, but I want to have a hot heart. I want to have a hotter heart than I have, you know, I, I, I want it to continue to burn and burn stronger. What that means is inviting him in, you know, knock, knock, knock. Will you invite me into your family life? Knock, knock, knock. Will you invite me into your relationships? Knock, knock, knock. Will you invite me into your work or your place of study? Knock, knock, knock. Will you invite me into your finances? Knock, knock, knock. Will you invite me into your sexuality? Knock, knock, knock. Will you invite me into your past hurts? Knock, knock, knock. Will you invite me into your regrets? Knock, knock, knock. Will you invite me into your fears? Knock, knock, knock. Will you invite me into the things that have made you angry? Knock, knock, knock. Will you invite me into your anxiety? Knock, knock, knock. Will you invite me into your mental health challenges? Knock, knock, knock. Will you invite me into your hopes and dreams for the future? Knock, knock, knock. I stand at the door knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will. I will. Come in and eat with them and they with me. It's when we open the door that we feel our hearts warm or warm more. True, authentic life is only found in him. And it's amazing how quickly and easily we settle for substitutes, material things, He is the one who can restore what the last few years have taken. He's promised that to us. It's he who can turn our comfort and our complacency into passion if we will let him. When you think about it, um, it is the most extraordinary letter. This is a church who have been through all sorts of trials and challenges. It's written, as we know from Peter, if you didn't listen to his talk last week, it's really worth listening to. It's an extraordinary time in history when it was written. We live in an extraordinary time of history now. And these are the moments where Jesus stands and, and speaks. Because it's not enough just to get by. It's not enough just to settle God wants his people and specifically his church to be a light to the world. You know, it's Halloween tomorrow. And his invitation for us is to be on fire for him, but to be light for him, to let his light shine in us so that the world would see. That doesn't mean that we pretend that things are fine when they're not. What it means is we have the courage to invite him in and to show us and show everyone else that there is a better way. So I'm going to invite the band to come back up um, and play sweet sounds of something, I don't know what exactly. And uh, why don't we stand together? I just want to say, there's no judgment here. Only love. So I want you to close your eyes for a second, and if you're comfortable, hold out your hands. Holding out, you don't have to. It's not magic, but it does two things. First of all, it is a is a posture of surrender, and the second thing. It is a posture of, you know, body language says something. And what it means is we're saying we are open to receive whatever God has for us today. What door is he knocking on in your life today? Maybe none. Maybe he, you've let him in the door and he's in the whole house in every room. But maybe like me, you, even this morning, you have just sensed him knocking on a door that you didn't realize was even shut. Here I am. I stand at the door and I'm knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with them and they with me. I will. I will. I will. I will come in and eat with them. And they with me so I just want you to think what is that door that he's knocking on and as you have your hands open that's you're giving him that thing I'm giving him that thing Lord we come to you and we hear you knocking and we know you're knocking because you love us desperately, passionately, relentlessly, you love us. Thank you that you love us so much you keep knocking. Would you come? Lord, we open that door. And in your mind's eye, I just want you to imagine opening that door and Jesus is standing there looking at you what's the look on his face he's smiling and the funny thing is I don't know if you notice from the passage he says I will come in and eat with them and they with me but so not only is he knocking but he is the one who provides the meal he's the one who provides the fellowship he's the one taking all the initiative so would you come and would you fill that room that house that place that we have maybe held back maybe we weren't even aware of and we invite you in we invite you in Holy Spirit would you come and would you move amongst us now come Holy Spirit, we know you're here but we pray that you would for want of a better phrase turn up the volume increase our awareness of your presence, of your goodness and of your love for us come Holy Spirit just let him let's just spend a few moments letting him meet with us I just sense for one or two of us and this is said with a smile on his face a glint in his eye this is not a negotiation I will sense him saying I will give you all of myself I have given you all of myself and all I want is you